I was thinking as uh, we're singing those songs, looking at Don, and then thinking about myself, we're, uh, we're, we're becoming a dying breed, Don. You know that? I don't, I just, these older songs, I don't know that younger pastors and younger worship leaders are going to be leading their churches to do those songs um, much in the future. And, uh, and I like them. Uh, some of the songs that we've been doing here on High Noon are some of the songs I haven't heard for years, and, uh, and, I, and I like them. And that, a couple of those today, that last one was brand new to me. I'd never heard that one, so I knew, knew most of them. But, uh, well, how are you all doing? Doing good? How many of you have gotten your uh, COVID vaccines? Have you all, how many of you, have you gotten through those? Okay. And Jackie's waiting for his second one back there. Mindy and I have gotten both of ours. Did any of you have any problems with the second one? Anybody at all? We didn't either. It was pretty good. I think uh, I think uh, Mindy and I, we kind of wondered whether we were getting sick. So maybe we were kind of a little psychosomatic, you know. But uh, we, we got through it fine. We're doing well. And so uh, how many of you enjoying reading through the New Testament? I'm enjoying this. Um, it's uh, been good for me, good discipline uh, to read it and to think through. So I'm going to try to highlight uh, a few of these uh, passages that we've uh, looked at this week. So our reading has taken us from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So I want to highlight a few of these verses with you. Let me Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for... Uh, your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, it's words we want to hide in our hearts that we might not sin against you. I want to please you and be found faithful to you. So Lord, would you encourage us today uh, from your word? Thank you for your presence uh, of the Holy Spirit and so we pray you bless this time as we spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 through 12. And this is obviously Paul's second letter. It's a letter where he's trying to encourage and comfort uh, the church at Corinth. He had a very interesting relationship with this church. Um, won them to Christ discipled them for a year and a half, leaves, um, um, undergoes a lot of criticism, some false teachers seem to creep in, turn the people contrary to Paul, away from Paul, said that he, he because he suffered so much, he must not really be an apostle. Too much suffering, he can't be real. Um, there's sin in his life. And so they're bringing all these accusations against him. And so um, when he hears this um, from Timothy, um, he makes a painful visit to them. And so he goes directly from Ephesus. He goes to Corinth, makes a visit, um, and finds things to be true. They're, they're all against him, have turned against him. Can you imagine how that must have hurt? And turned against him. I'd be like you uh, spending a few years in your Sunday school class, and then you go back in there and you find out that everybody in your Sunday school class is mad at you. Everybody's turned against you. 
criticizing you against you. I mean, that would hurt. You'd think, what in has happened here? And so he, uh, he's pretty humiliated. He goes ahead and leaves. And then he writes a painful letter to them, delivers it through Timothy or Titus. And Titus takes the letter, goes back, uh, confronts the church. And for the most part, the majority of the congregation repents. And then uh, Titus uh, meets up with Paul up in Macedonia in, um, in the city of Philippi, brings back a good report, and so he writes this letter, and it's, there's some affection in it. And um, he's trying now to encourage and comfort those who have hurt him so deeply. And, and so we're going to pick up here in chapter 8, and he talks about uh, the, the collection so when he's talking about the collection, what is, he, what is he talking about? What's the collection? You remember? Yeah, it's an offering. And so we know from Acts chapter 11 and uh, back in Jerusalem where the, the apostles were, where the church began, and um, they're going through some difficult times back in Jerusalem, Jewish believers primarily. You remember they had been persecuted. Many of the Jews left Jerusalem, but those who stayed behind um, are having a, a difficult time. Famine, suffering, many of them were starving literally to death physically. And so Paul, as an expression of brotherly love and affection, he tries to get the churches throughout the northern region of Macedonia he calls on them as an expression of brotherly love and unity, mostly Gentiles. He calls them to take up an offering, a, a collection to be gathered together and then delivered back to the church in Jerusalem to care, he says, for the saints. And so many of those churches throughout the north, Macedonia, Corinth being one of them, originally when they had heard about this collection. They had good intentions. They were going to give. And so Paul reminds them in this letter, he said, uh, good intentions won't get the job done. I want you all to follow through now and continue to take up offerings and so that when we get there, we can, you can have it ready and we'll take it and you can send a representative from your church if you want to travel with us, Jerusalem, if you want to make sure this money gets there safely. Uh, for th there be some accountability, we'll deliver it back to Jerusalem. So he reminds them of this collection. So look here in chapter 8. And, uh, and one of the things I would say to you is in chapter 8, the first 12 verses, is that uh, when it comes to our giving, generosity is a sign of God's grace at work in our lives. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you would say over a period of years as you've learned uh, to walk with Jesus, that, that uh, you've become more generous. Any of you feel like that's been true of you? Certainly been true of me. Um, just been very generous. I, I try to be generous, try to be, um, to, to give uh, first and foremost to my local church and then try to give to other people, to help people uh, as we can. Um, and so I think also from raising four kids, <laughs> Uh, you, you can't be a good parent if, if it, it just raising kids and stuff, it, it kind of draws the selfishness out of you. Have you found that to be true? You can't be a good parent and be selfish. 
you're going to learn to give and sacrifice for your kids. And God works through all of that. And I I think the same is true in the body of Christ. We we learn to be generous and learn to to give. I I mentioned this this morning in staff meeting. uh, Over the years, uh, as a pastor, I've I've really been concerned about the, the church growing spiritually for believers to grow stronger in their faith. And so I would emphasize certain things that I know that is going to contribute to that, like prayer, spending time with God in his word on a daily basis, so prayer in his word, so that you grow spiritually and you mature in Christ, getting connected with other believers, that also help you grow. And one of the things I think for years that I neglected, because I never really associated it with spiritual growth, was financial giving. And Jesus talks a lot about our finances is an indication of our heart, where your treasure is, right? There your heart will also be. Um, You and I are not going to mature in Christ and grow until we learn to be, uh, until we learn to surrender our finances to Him and give. So I think there's a correlation between spiritual growth and financial giving. I really do. And so I think it's an integral part of that. And so there's some, he's, he's commending them to finish the offering. Um, and uh, he also mentions this in chapter nine. So regarding the principles, of, so that's a lot going on there in, in chapter eight. Uh, chapter nine, he gives some specific principles on giving. So let's look here. I want to read uh, chapter nine. Read with me starting at verse six through verse 15. Second uh, Corinthians nine. 6 through 15. And this is in the context of him wanting, him emphasizing to them to make sure that you're taking up these offerings. As you meet, gather it all up, build, let the offering build up so that you have something uh, significant to give and to send back to the Jews and Christians in, in Jerusalem. Verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let one, each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. For as it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality or generousness, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. And so, um, continue read. I'm sorry, verse 13. While the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So what are some principles that Paul provides here when it comes to giving? Well, look at verse 6. He first says, God will bless generosity. 
And he uses an agricultural metaphor, illustration here. If you want to, to have a bountiful harvest, what do you need to do? You need to sow generously, sow abundantly. And for whoever is, doesn't sow abundantly or generously is not going to reap abundantly. And so the principle there is God will bless generosity, being generous. And, and I believe that generosity is, is an assign of us really having tasted and experienced the grace of God. So we want to be generous as much as we can. As much as we can, we want to be generous. I'll tell you, uh, uh, this is not, not really related to uh, giving in, in the church and providing offerings in the church. Um, but uh, when I go to restaurants, I, many and I try to be generous. I, I really do. Um, having had a daughter and a couple daughters work in restaurants when they're going through college, working their way through, most people who work in restaurants need the money. And it's hard work. And, um, and so I try, many and I try to be generous to people. I mean, would you, would you run back and forth and serve people and wait on tables for an hour and refill their drinks and chips for $2? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do that for two dollars. And I always think about this: if I can't afford to to tip generously, I got no business eating out. You know. So I try to be generous. And uh, and uh, you know, there's been a, a thing that uh, a daughter used to say. She when she was in Nashville going through college, she uh, worked at P.F. Chang's, and she said on she dreaded Sundays. She said because sometimes the Christian people who came in there from church were impatient and were uh, and were and were very poor tippers. And she said I didn't she didn't look forward to Sundays. And I just I just think that's sad. You know, if I can't afford to take care of a young girl or a young guy who's waiting tables and I probably should stay home and run back and forth to, to the kitchen and cook it myself. <laughs> so whatever whatever that's worth to you, you know, so just try to be generous. God will bless generosity. And, and also it enhances our witness and our testimony. Verse 7, another principle here. He says, determine or purpose in your heart that you're going to give. So make up your mind. I always tell uh, people when they go through, you know, membership classes, come into the church. It's a, giving is a spiritual discipline. And it, it's, if you don't make up your mind that you're going to do it, you you are not going to do it. So it's a discipline. Determine. Make up your mind. God, I'm going to give. And then, and then be faithful in it. Discipline that. And start, start someplace. Um, I think the tithe is a good guideline, but I don't think it's a good rule. Tithing is a good guideline. It's not a good rule. By the way, there's no place in the New Testament that advocates tithing. In Matthew 23, Jesus says to the scribes, you ought to tithe dill and cumin. And so there's no really place in the strong in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, in my opinion, goes beyond tithing. And, and tithing is a, good, a good, good practice, but it's not a rule. For example, one of the weaknesses of tithing is we think that 10% belongs to God and the other 90% is ours. Why is that misguided? Is 10% his and 90% ours? No, it's all his. 
And so tithing can let you off the hook. Well, God, I've given you your, what belongs to you, your 10%, so I'm going to keep the other nine. What if, God, what if God calls you to give 20%, 50%? Uh, i tell you a story. This goes back a while. Um, there's been, Minnie and I were sitting in a worship service some, some time ago, and there was a guy who had come and who was ministering in our church, and he, he lived completely by faith. And I have no other explanation for this, but the Lord put it on my heart just to give him a week's of, of giving my salary. And I sat there and had this mental wrestling match sitting in the seat. And at the end of the service, I told Mindy, I said, I, I think we need to give very generously. The Lord put it on my heart. She said, well, if that's what you think, let's do that. And I still had four, still had kids at home going through college, and so I, I gave him a week's salary. Then. I just felt led, felt led to do that. Felt like that's what God wanted me to do. So sometimes tithing can be a negative thing uh, because the Bible also teaches that we need to give sacrificially and, and, and generously. And there's a, sometimes a tithe could be an excuse for people to not to give to the Lord the way he wants them to give. Does that make sense? It's all his. He may ask you to give it all. So tithing is a good rule uh, or a good, good principle, not just so purpose in your heart. Start somewhere. Also would tell young couples, you know, they get started and they, at the end of the month, sometimes they have more month than they have means. <laughs> they run out of means before the end of the month. And I would tell people, if you, if you can't give 10%, start someplace, start with 2%, start 3%, do something and grow. And put the Lord to the test and trust and see if he doesn't bless you. I had an old preacher used to tell us one time, he said, you take a dollar and he said, you keep all of your dollar and I tithe and I give a, a dime on that dollar, I give 10%. He used to say, I believe that God will bless me with my 90 cents left over more than he'll bless you with that dollar. And I just, I just found that to be true too. The Lord is faithful. Our motive for giving to the Lord is not as some preach and teach so that we'll get back. Have you heard people that? Sow a seed. If you want, if you want God to prosper you, sow a seed. Send this, send your, send a hundred dollars in and, I, and God's given me a vision. He's going to give you a thousand. You heard the stuff like that? And so the motive is not just giving cheerfully out of our heart of love for the Lord. The motives is I want to give, so God, so I'm going to get a thousand dollars. You've heard stuff like that? Well, when I hear that, I always think about those preachers or those people on TV that teach that kind of stuff. Well, put up, put up or shut up. If you believe that's what God will work, then take all the money of your ministry, give it all away so that you get back tenfold. Right, so it's a wrong, it's a misguided motive. I don't, you and I don't give to the Lord so they can make us rich. It's, we give as an expression of our love that we've experienced his grace and we want to be generous and we want to give to kingdom purposes and we want to invest in the kingdom because it has eternal, eternal ramifications. So we want to deter, so start somewhere, purpose in your heart that you're going to give. And then verse seven also says, give with the right attitude. You see that in verse 7? He says, don't give how? Don't give grudgingly. Don't give because, oh, I got to give. Oh, I just have to give. That's not the attitude. He says, but give, be give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. The word there is actually literally is translated uh, uh, to the word hilarious. 
You ever heard that? God loves a hilarious giver. They're just happy to give, to be generous. Uh, cheerfulness. Lord, what a blessing to be able to give and to participate in your work. And then in verses 9 through 11, he says, there is a great reward, a great reward in, in all kinds of promises that God gives to us regarding giving. Um, and I believe that. Um, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 3 uh, is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Test me then, right? Yep. Uh, test me. And see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour down blessings upon you. And he also goes on in, in Malachi 3. There it is. Bring the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings that there'll not be room enough to receive it. And then later on in that same chapter, he also talks about protection. I will protect you from the pestilence, protect you from the devourer. Um, you know, um, he protects us. The, the, the washing machine doesn't go out. The refrigerator doesn't blow up. The water pump on the car doesn't. St- I, I just, I believe that. He, not only does he bless us, but he also protects us. Um, Going to take care of us. And so, uh, good, good principle there, all kinds of promises. Uh, so, uh, just, to, just to be given, to be giving. And then, uh, I, I, look, I, I look forward to, at some point in the future, preaching on stewardship. I like to preach on stewardship. You know why I like to preach on stewardship? It's, I've heard people say that some church pastors are afraid to preach on giving, finances, and stewardship. I like to do it, and the reason is because I know that God will bless the church. Um, I would, I'd like to, for my kids, my own kids, to, to be generous and give to the Lord. Why? Because I love them, and I know that God will bless them if they do that. And I want the very best for them. Why would I not uh, feel the same way about my church family? Uh, it's not, not motivated by the church having more money and me, you know, like impure motives. It's because I know that God will take care and bless, bless the people who are generous and give. So uh, uh, look forward to that. Chapter 10. Paul pleads here for the members to have some, some characteristics. Look at verse 1. Um, now I, Paul, myself, am pleading, urging, begging with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. And so he's setting an example and he's kind of, you know, pleading Paul says, uses the word meek and gentle and lowly. Meek, gentle and lowly. Sets an example like that from his own life. What is, what is the word meek? You know any of the places in the Bible where the, where the word meek is used? That sound familiar? Uh, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, what is one of them related to meekness, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall. What did you say? Inherit the earth, right? What is meek? The Bible says one of the meekest men who ever lived in the Old Testament was Moses. He said he was meek. Does that mean, does meekness mean weakness? No. 
by the way, Jesus, uh, there's only one place in the gospel where he describes himself inwardly, and that's in Matthew 11, where he said, come unto me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek, gentle, lowly, meek in, in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. So the word meek is a word that literally refers uh, to taming a wild animal. Uh, used mostly in New Testament times regarding horses. So a, a, a horse, think about the power of a horse. That power, when they're tamed, is power under control. That's, that's the meaning of meekness. Power under control. Jesus referred to himself as meek. All power, all authority had been given to him, but it was under whose control? The Father's control. He's always submitting um, everything to the cross. So it's not weakness, it's power, power under control. And so meekness is, is there. Uh, he talks about gentleness. Uh, what is gentleness? I think, about, I think about when I think somebody who's gentle, I think about somebody who's very loving very caring and so uh, a brother or sister in Christ who is strong but they're submitted to the Father and they're loving and they're caring uh, so meekness, gentleness and then by example lowly humble um, humble um, God gives grace to the humble Peter says but does what to the proud he says he resists, opposes the proud. Uh, so gives grace to those who are humble, resist the proud. You know the word resist, uh, um, um, it's kind of a football analogy. Offensive linemen, when there's a pass play, they don't, on a running play, a lineman will fire forward and try to hit the defensive person, drive them a certain way to open up a hole for the, for the runner, to create a hole so for the person to run. So they fire forward on running plays, but on pass plays, when the quarterback is in a shotgun or black, back, drops back to pass, offensive linemen stand up, and then they resist the rush of the defense defenseman. And so I think about, you know, offensive linemen, when that defensive player is rushing in to get to the quarterback, the offensive lineman jams them and jams them and jams them. And try, they're resisting them, opposing them. That's the same word the Bible uses for God resisting the proud. So it's like he's jamming us. We're working against God when we're prideful. And Jesus also said, if you humble yourself before the Lord in due time, he would what? Exalt you. And you know, one of the ways I've seen that uh, kind of played out in the church is people in the church who humble themselves, uh, they become exalted in the church. Here's how. There's, there's uh, somebody, you, you know, you, you think, well, I need somebody to help, help in this area of ministry, and so what? You call them. And, and the person, you know people like that? 
that if you needed something, you'd be quick to call them because you know they're going to help. They're going to try to help, right? Somebody who humbles themselves, who always wants to serve, who wants to help, they start getting called a lot. And what happens? How, how does that translate into exaltation? Well, that means that everybody starts thinking highly of them. People just, that brother, that sister, man, if you need something, you can call them and there'll be Johnny on the spot and they'll serve and help. And they just, everybody starts thinking real highly of those people. And there's other people in the church. You think, well, if I need something, I don't know if I'm going to call them. I don't, <laughs> the, you know what I'm saying? You, the reason certain people get called all the time is because those people are, always want to serve. They always want to help. And then there's other people there. You're kind of hesitant to call because you don't know how they're going to react. You know, you know, and, and, uh, and so he, he, the exaltation comes when just they're, they're well thought of or they're respected, they're trusted. And those end up becoming the leaders in the church. Those who serve, who always want to help, who are always available and try to, and, and to serve the Lord. So, uh, they, and so uh, just being humble, having an attitude of humility. And then in verses three through five of chapter 10, uh, there's a reminder here that we are in a fight. Look at verses three through five of chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So in other words, we don't, the spiritual life, the Christian life, we don't, we don't fight, we don't war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Um, pulling down strongholds, every kind of th- bringing, bringing, you've heard that verse, right? Bringing every thought into captive. Every thought, bring, bring, uh, Every thought, Lord, I want it to be controlled by you. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a war that goes on within us that our thoughts and that our attitudes are pleasing to the Lord, bringing every th- thought captive. First uh, Peter, having our minds washed by the water of the word. The Word of God saturates our mind and our thoughts, and it purifies and it clarifies, and um, and and uh, uh, keeping our attitudes right. So, and when I get in, when you and I get into a situation as we serve the Lord, especially as we deal with each other and relationship issues, want to be prayerful and very careful in how we relate to each other. Don't want to go off and and operate in the flesh and say things and do things and read uh, wrong things into people's motives. We need to be careful with that, to believe the best, think the best, uh, to have faith in God, have faith in my brother, have faith in my sister, and to believe the best. And that, that's a, and that can be a battle. We get upset and we start <laughs> having attitudes and thoughts that are, not, that are not the way that God would want us to think. And, and, and so... Uh, just some spiritual warfare there. Uh, 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 great reminder 
um, this chapter, verse 12, just a great verse, great reminder. For we, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, he says, are not what? Are not wise. You ever do that? You ever do what he warns us not to do in verse 12 as a Christian? Start comparing yourself with another Christian? Oh, I'm better than them. Or I'm not as good as them. I'm less than them. I can't. Uh, or, or, or we... we do some of the things maybe that we're going in corners. We tear them down, make ourselves feel better. Not to, not to, comp- you know, we're all different. I'm not, we don't want to compare ourselves with either. Preachers can be bad about that, being jealous of other preachers, tearing other people down. Make it, so we, our, our measurement is not each other. I don't, we're not comparing ourselves to each other. Who, we, who are we to compare ourselves to? To Jesus. That's the measurement. That's the standard. Oh, I'm better than they are. You know, I, I don't do that, and I don't do this, and I don't talk that way, and I don't, you know. Well, that's, that's we're, not, we're not supposed to be comparing ourselves to each other, commending ourselves at the other person's expense. So that's just a, a good warning we all need to be careful of. Go to chapter 11. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 11, genuine pastoral concern. Verse 2, for I am jealous for you. So that Paul writing to this pastorally about the church of Corinth. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In other words, he's saying the spiritual father, I'm the one who helped lead you to Christ, and I'm, and I, and I'm, I'm concerned about you. Very concerned that you be clean and pure before the Lord. Verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. So he's, what's his concern? He's concerned that the people in the church body are going to be deceived and misled by other people. And he's, he's, he's concerned about it. So there's, a, there's this pastoral concern. Look at, uh, um, well, you can go back to, to earlier some things there. Uh, look at same chapter, look at verses 23 through 28. Uh, I, I mentioned this Sunday, um, he loved them so much he was willing to suffer, to, to go, through it, go through hardship and difficulty for, because of his love for the church and for God's people. Uh, look at chapter 11, starting at verse uh, 23, or 20, verse 23. Talking about those in the church who are going to deceive and mislead people. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. 
And this is just kind of a given example of his, his, of his genuine love for the church and all that he had went through, gone through. He says, I love them. And in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So why did Paul go through all of that? Why did he endure all of that? Well, I think really two things. One is because that's what God had called him to do, and he wanted to be faithful to God's calling upon his life, but also because he was constrained, he was compelled by love. He loved the Lord, and he loved God's people, and he was willing to go through hardship and suffering for them. Right Earlier, we talked about this Sunday from the very first chapter of this letter. He said, I've gone through some, was burdened above and beyond measure or despaired even of life, felt like I had a sentence of death on me. He went through all of those things, um, suffered all of those things because out of his, his commitment to them and to serve them. And, uh, and so... Uh, he, he, was a, he was a genuine uh, spiritual father, a, a genuine pastor who really cared about the needs and the interests of his congregation above his own needs and above his own interests. And, uh, and, and uh, they, they knew that. Uh, they, they had gotten, mis- they, they'd become misguided by some false prophets and teachers who'd come in the church, but they'd come around. Uh, Titus was able to, to reason with them. And then uh, we'll close here in chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Look at chapter 12, 7 through 11. Some great verses. Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A thorn in the flesh. What was his thorn in the flesh? Uh, we don't really know what it was. But notice he says, it was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be what? Exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded, I prayed with the Lord multiple times, three times that it might depart from me. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So he prayed. Did, did Paul get this prayer, this prayer request that God remove this thorn in the flesh? Was that prayer answered? Did God remove the thorn in the flesh? No. That, that, that thorn wasn't removed. But he recognized that 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 thorn in the flesh. Um, he said it, it. God used it to keep me dependent upon Him, lest I become too exalted. And God's answer to him was what? 
Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove this thorn in the flesh, but my grace will be sufficient. And how many of you have found that to be true in your life, that as you've gone through some difficult times, that, that God has been faithful and he got you through? His grace has been sufficient to carry you through. And then he concludes, and this is amazing in verse 9, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast of my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Have you ever found that to be true? That somehow that through your infirmities and your weaknesses and those difficult times of your life, that, it, that God used that to draw you closer to him? And Lord, you, you come to a, God, I need you. I just, God, I just need you so desperately. God, would you help me? Would you get me through this? And God uses that to teach us some things. And then he concludes in verse 10, therefore I take, and this is, this is just an amazing, crazy perspective, spiritual perspective. Therefore I take pleasure. Now think about that. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, insults, in need, in persecution, in distresses. How many of you take pleasure in that? I, I haven't, I'm not, I don't think I've gotten there. Do you? Take pleasure in all of this. Why? For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am made strong. So in my weakness, Paul said later, Philippians, he said, I glory in my weaknesses because it's in my weakness that I find that Christ makes me strong. And so I glory. I glory in these weaknesses. The last verse, verse 15. Paul says about them, verse 15, I will very gladly, happily spend and be spent for who? For your souls. My life, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls, for your spiritual well-being, for kingdom purposes. That's that's where I want to. That's where I want to uh, dedicate my life. That's where I want to commit my life for kingdom purposes. To gladly spend and be spent for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for their souls and help encourage them and build them up and help them to be stronger in Christ Jesus. And through the process, hopefully we can win others to Jesus as well. Isn't that good? How many of you know that verse? I will gladly spend and be spent. I hope that's true of all of us. So being generous, being giving, being humble, um, being caring one towards another, keeping our attitudes right, our perspectives right, bringing every thought captive, keeping our minds washed by the ministry of the word, the Holy Spirit, we're just washing pureness, purifying our thoughts, all of that, and gladly spending and being spent uh, for the Lord's purposes. Good stuff. So we, uh, we'll, we'll end there, all right? So uh, God bless you guys.